Are you trying to squeeze the starting solid food stuff into your already busy schedule? Well, I have an all-in-one done-for-you solution that's going to take the guesswork out of feeding your baby. My online program is called Baby Led Weaning with Katie Ferraro. It contains all of my baby led weaning training videos, the original 100 First Foods content library, plus a 100-day meal plan with recipes like the exact sequence of which foods to feed in which order. So if you want to stop trying to piece all this feeding stuff together on your own, I would be honored if you would join me inside of the program. You can get signed up at babyledweaning.co slash program. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So the most common FPI's trigger foods are milk and soy, and then grains. And surprisingly, the grains that are most commonly associated with FPI's are oat and rice. Hey there, I'm Katie Ferraro, registered dietitian, college nutrition professor, and mom of seven specializing in baby led weaning. Here on the Baby Led Weaning Made Easy podcast, I help you strip out all of the noise and nonsense about feeding leaving you with the confidence and knowledge you need to give your baby a safe start to solid foods using baby-led weaning. Well, hi there and welcome to this episode about FPIES. That's an acronym for Food Protein-Induced Enterocolitis Syndrome. I have a lot of content on my podcast and in my programs about the IgE-mediated food allergies, but my guest today is going to take us on a learning tour about one type of non-IgE mediated food allergy, which is FPIES. And I want to preface this episode by saying this is episode number 230 of the Baby Led Weaning Made Easy podcast. And we have had requests for an FPIES specific episode for a long time, but I dragged my feet on it and I really didn't want to do it because I really wanted to be careful about the person who came on to talk about FPIES because it is such a rare diagnosis. And if you've listened for any length of time, you know, that as a registered dietitian specializing in baby led weaning, I'm a stickler for ensuring that we only learn about infant feeding from credentialed feeding experts who specialize in the topics that I cover on the podcast. And there is nobody better to talk about FPIES than my guest today, Marion Groach. Marion is a registered dietitian with a master's degree in clinical nutrition and over 25 years of nutrition care experience. She's the director of nutrition services at the Jaffe Food Allergy Institute and an assistant professor of pediatrics at the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai. So Marion Groach is internationally recognized for her work in food allergy research and clinical care of patients with food allergies. She's on like way too many advisory boards and professional associations to mention here. But Marion is also the co-instructor of an advanced pediatric food allergy course for dietitians that I'm enrolled in. I'm actually just finishing it up. It's been a year-long course, so at the time of this recording. And for the past year, I've had the incredible opportunity to learn about pediatric food allergies from Marion and her co-instructor, Karina Venter, who has also been a guest on our podcast a number of times talking about food allergy specific topics. And so I am very excited that Marion has agreed to come and teach us about FPIES today. So with no further ado, here is Marion Groach teaching about FPIES, food protein induced enterocolitis syndrome. Thanks for having me, Katie. So I'm currently enrolled in your pediatric food allergy class for registered dietitians. I'm loving it. Thank you. Because 
we were talking before, but there's not a lot of advanced training opportunities for registered dietitians, at least in the US in food allergies. So I've been loving the content, loving the training on FPIs, which is what we're going to talk about today. But before that, could you just give an introduction to our listeners and let us know, how did you come to specialize in food allergy and food allergy research and education as a dietitian? Oh, so that's actually an interesting question because I came about it almost by accident. So I finished a fellowship in neurodevelopmental disabilities and started working on a feeding team. So I worked on a feeding team for seven years. And you know, when you're out in the field and you're working by yourself, every once in a while, you come across a patient who's a little bit over your head. So I remember coming across patients that were on home TPN and thinking, oh my gosh, how am I going to calculate this? So I reached out to a dietitian who was working at Mount Sinai at the time, and she was very helpful. Her name was Shade, and she was very helpful, and she always helped sort of guide me through some of these issues. And then she worked at the Jaffe Food Allergy Institute, and then a position opened at the Jaffe Food Allergy Institute, and she called me. And she said that in particular, they were looking for somebody with feeding experience, because frequently when you have children with food allergies, you might also see feeding difficulties. And it's probably from the delayed introduction of some of those solid foods and the the diets that are not that diverse. And Mount Sinai was going to start a feeding clinic at the same time as sort of to run alongside the food allergy clinic. So they hired me and we built the feeding clinic, but it took two years. And by the time the feeding clinic was built, I was already very entrenched in food allergies. Shade had left, and I realized that food allergies was a lot bigger than I thought, as big as feeding, and we didn't really have the resources to do both. So I just ended up being at the best place for food allergy, which is the Jaffe Food Allergy Institute at the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai, and you know, just getting involved in the research there. There's so much to be done. So we have had a ton of content on this podcast about food allergy and the early introduction of allergenic foods to prevent food allergy, et cetera. And I was actually really hesitant to even do an episode on FPIs because it is so rare and I feel like parents sometimes hear about it and then every time their baby vomits, they're like convinced it's FPIs. So enough parents asked us for the topic. So I am so grateful for the opportunity to be able to interview you, global leading expert on this topic. But can you start us off real basic by answering what is FPIs? FPIs. Okay, so FPIs stands for food protein induced enterocolitis syndrome. And FPIs is what we call a non IgE mediated allergy. So most allergies that we think about, you know, an allergy, allergic symptoms that occur soon after you eat the food are triggered by immunoglobulin E or IgE. And those symptoms could occur on the skin, they could occur in the lungs, you might have difficulty breathing. Um, you might have immediate vomiting soon after eating the food. FPIs, being a non-IgE-mediated allergy, is delayed in onset. So that's sometimes tricky because FPIs usually occurs anywhere from one to four hours after eating the food. It almost always occurs like right at two hours after eating the food in a very funny way. We always say it's exactly two hours, um, but it can be anywhere from one to four hours. And the main criteria for diagnosis of FPIs is vomiting. And the vomiting is dramatic. It is repetitive, forceful vomiting. It's not a little spitting up. It's not one vomit. You usually see multiple episodes of vomiting. The vomiting is very forceful. And that's the main criteria for diagnosis. Excessive, forceful vomiting one to four hours after ingestion. 
The problem with FPIs is that it's non-IgE mediated. So we don't have any tests to test for specific foods that might be triggering it. So the diagnosis is really one of a clinical presentation. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. If you've been thinking about giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's a convenient, flexible, affordable, and entirely online experience. All you do is just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can also switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. I used to think therapy was just for people who have experienced major trauma, but therapy can help you be at your best no matter what you're going through. So whether it's to learn new positive coping skills, set more realistic boundaries, or just show up as a better version of yourself, BetterHelp is here to help. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can help you get there and BetterHelp can help you. Visit BetterHelp.com slash weaning today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash weaning and get 10% off your first month. So thank you. That is such a helpful explanation. And I'm curious, how common is FPIs? FPIs is very rare. Like most food allergies in general, we see um, IgE-mediated allergy is pretty rare. There's another type of non-IgE-mediated allergy, which is called proctocolitis, which is blood in the stool in a very young infant. That's much more common even. FPIs is rare. We don't have very good prevalence data because we didn't have an ICD-10 code until fairly recently. So an ICD-10 code is basically your diagnosis code. And the way we determine prevalence is by looking at these diagnoses in medical records. But if you don't have a diagnosis code to identify FPIs, then it's hard for us to do those kinds of prevalence studies. So I was going to ask you about diagnosis, which you explained. How would one get diagnosed? Who is the practitioner, at least in the United States, who would diagnose FPIs? So many practitioners don't understand FPIs. Pediatricians might not be familiar with FPIs. Emergency room doctors might not be uh, familiar with FPIs. So frequently when a, when a patient presents to the emergency room with this very repetitive, forceful vomiting, they might be diagnosed with sepsis or they might be diagnosed with a gastrointestinal illness and then sent home. And frequently it's not until the parent goes home and feeds the same food and they have a similar reaction that the parent makes the connection. So again, like all types of food allergies, if you are eating the food and you're having a similar reaction, that is should trigger a strong suspicion that that food is maybe causing the reaction and it could be an allergy. At that point, I would say that patient really needs to see an allergist who has a specialty in food allergy. Sometimes gastroenterologists can manage this as well. And even some pediatricians are familiar with it. But it's really important to see an allergist, I think, if you have access. So Marianne, I've done a ton of content on the podcast about the IgE-mediated food allergy. So parents know a lot about the big nine, et cetera. But when it comes to FPIs as a non-IgE-mediated food allergy, what are the FPIs trigger foods? So the most common FPIs trigger foods are milk and soy and then grains. And surprisingly, the grains that are most commonly associated with FPIs are oat and rice. So these are unfortunately some of the first foods that we feed infants. And that's why, because they are not common 
allergens, people don't always make the connection that that food has caused the reaction. Yeah, rice gets this billing as being essentially hypoallergenic, right? It's why right, exactly. for decades we fed iron-fortified white rice cereal. Right, and of course, rice is not a common IgE-mediated trigger, but it is a common trigger for FPIs. And then there are some fruits and vegetables that are more commonly associated with FPIs, but the, the main trigger foods are milk, soy, and those grains, rice and oat grains. So if your baby had milk and soy. So milk and soy are two of the big nine allergenic foods. And at the two hour marker beyond there was profuse, persistent vomiting, we would suspect FPIs. Now, if they had full blown body hives, difficulty breathing and, you know, marked change in demeanor a few minutes after eating, then you would suspect your typical cow's milk protein allergy or soy allergy. Would that be correct? That would be correct. Yes. The other thing to consider is have they eaten the food before? Have they eaten it subsequently? So say they're drinking a, a cow's milk-based formula and then they have a couple spoonfuls of yogurt and then they have vomiting afterward. Then, you know, you probably wouldn't be thinking that the cow's milk-based yogurt caused the vomiting. Because the formula has had the cow's milk protein in yes, it. Yes, exactly. Okay. So you have to think about those types of things. I have to say that's been the hardest part for me in the certificate training course that I'm in with you guys for dietitians is the formulas, like if you do not work in the clinic setting, all of the crazy specialty formulas are so hard to learn. It's like mind blowing. Right. I know that that is true. And even some of the hypoallergenic formulas actually have cow's milk in them, but they are extensively hydrolyzed so that they are considered hypoallergenic. So it's difficult to look at a label and know, gee, is my child getting cow's milk based formula or not? But most of your and typical formulas that infants take right out of the hospital are not hypoallergenic. And then you can be pretty certain. And you can ask your pediatrician, is this a cow's milk-based formula? And I think a lot of times it's very hard for parents. They try to figure this stuff out on their own. You really do need the expertise of a registered dietitian who specializes in this. You know, I think most pediatricians, you know, more than 90% of them in North America have never had a dedicated nutrition class. And so even as far as, you know, maybe reading a label and telling you if there's cow's milk in it, but then interpreting what that might mean for your baby I think it is so important to seek help from a dietitian. Very good point, because, you know, we as a, a teaching hospital, we have fellows that come in and do their fellowship in allergy immunology, the physicians. And one of the first things we have to teach them are, are about all the different formulas, because they don't know the difference between a cow's milk based formula and a hypoallergenic formula. We have to teach them. So by what age will children generally outgrow FPIs? So, you know, usually, you know, by three or four, four years of age, usually by the time they hit school, of course, there's the rare case where they maintain their FPIs reactions, you know, in, into early childhood or even adulthood. But the vast majority will outgrow FPIs at a very young age. And is there a higher risk for a baby to have an IgE mediated food allergy if they already have an FPIs diagnosis? Like, are those two linked? So, you know, we only talked about acute FPIs. And um, one area of acute FPIs is something that we call atypical FPIs. That means it's an infant who has FPIs to a trigger food, but also has IgE to that food. So they are also at risk of having an immediate reaction to that food. And yes, we do see infants with FPIs that have IgE-mediated allergies to other foods. I don't know, to be honest with you, off the top of my head, if they are at greater risk of having IgE-mediated allergies. So in your practice, Marianne, can you share how babies with FPIs are 
counseled or treated or handled from onset of symptoms through diagnosis and treatment? Like if you could design like a perfect course, uh, what would that look like for a typical FPIES baby? So in our practice, when an infant comes in with a suspicion of FPIES, the most important part of the diagnosis is the medical history and the clinical history. So again, we want to see the main criterion, which is that forceful repetitive vomiting that occurs one to four hours after ingestion of the food. And then there are minor criteria for the diagnosis of FPIs. And that might be, you know, dehydration and shock. It might be the need for an emergency room visit or IV fluids. It might be delayed onset of diarrhea, usually occurring much later after the onset of the vomiting. Some of these minor criteria would also typically be present. Then we would be um, looking, this is what the the physician's job would be looking at whether they've eaten the food previously, whether they've eaten it subsequently. We want to see a consistency in symptoms that are presented. And if there is any question as to whether this food was a trigger, there may be an oral food challenge. As you know, even with IgE-mediated allergies, oral food challenges are the gold standard for the diagnosis of food allergy. But in FPIs, because the symptoms are so dramatic and forceful that we tend not to do oral food challenges if the clinical presentation is clear. And typically, the clinical presentation is quite clear. It's not the kind of symptom that you would miss. <laughs> I love how you say that. You're not going to miss it if your baby has FPIs. Yes. In our class, our students created handouts for FPIs. And I don't want to brag, but I was on the winning team. And that was the hardest assignment for me because I don't work with this population every day, but that handout's amazing. <laughs> no, it was a beautiful handout that you created. And I think um, one thing that ended up on many of the handouts were a description of the symptoms to look out for. And I was able to tell every group that you can take those off because once a parent has experienced those symptoms, they don't need to be reminded of what they look like. It is really quite dramatic. So it's not the kind of food allergic disorder where you're thinking, gee, I wonder if this is an FPIES reaction. It will be quite clear that this is not normal. Now, having said that, there is also something that we call chronic FPIs. So we've been talking all along about acute FPIs. Chronic FPIs actually occurs almost exclusively in very young infants and infants who are fed soy or milk-based formulas. It's very rare to present chronic FPIs in a breastfed infant. And chronic FPIs is sort of a progressive intermittent vomiting and diarrhea It's not typically associated with the food because the food is chronically in the diet, but it's just vomiting that gets progressively worse and diarrhea that gets progressively worse. And the child can actually become very ill with failure to thrive. And they may even have shock and, and methemoglobinemia. They could have lots of very serious symptoms that are associated with it. But almost every pediatrician in the country sees a child like this. And the first thing they're going to do is try to transition them to a hypoallergenic formula. And once they're on the hypoallergenic formula, these symptoms should resolve right away. So the symptoms of chronic FPIs are present only when the food is chronically in the diet. Once that food or that food trigger is removed, the symptoms will resolve. What about the mom's diet if she's exclusively breastfeeding? 
So if the baby is exclusively breastfed and they're having the symptoms, then the mother would have to try to remove foods from their diet. It is considered very rare to see chronic FPIs in an exclusively breastfed infant. There are some cases that are reported in the literature. And yes, we have seen it in our clinical practice, but it is considered quite rare. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Can we talk a little bit about FPI's misconceptions? I feel like I've seen more influencers and mommy bloggers. They learn about FPI's and they talk about it and based on their very short synopsis. I'm like, you haven't even seen a pediatric allergist or a dietitian yet. So I understand it's important when it is a true diagnosis, but this kind of gray area of people thinking every time their baby vomits, like casually mentioning FPI's, any thoughts about that? I think it's always really important to have a proper diagnosis because if you don't have the proper diagnosis, you know, there could be another serious issue happening with your child that you are not aware of. When you eliminate foods from a baby's diet, it can result in nutritional risk for that baby, but not only nutritional risk, it can cause, you know, you have talked a lot in your podcast about early introduction of allergens and how this helps to prevent food allergies. But if we are delaying introduction of allergens or delaying introductions of foods, we could actually contribute to the onset of IgE-mediated food allergies. So we really don't want to eliminate any foods from the baby's diet that aren't necessarily needed to be eliminated. What we see in terms of myths of FPIs would be this concept that there are chronic symptoms that are attributed to FPIs when the food is no longer in the diet. So that's something to think about. The other, the most important diagnostic criteria for chronic FPIs is not the symptoms that are present when the food is in the diet and they're having those chronic symptoms. When you remove that food, and reintroduce it later after the symptoms have resolved, that infant will have an acute FPIs reaction. They won't start again to have chronic symptoms. So that acute FPIs reaction will be your telltale sign and give you that diagnostic criteria. If you don't have that, the diagnosis of chronic FPIs is really presumptive. When you're talking about removing the food from the diet, is it immediate cessation of symptoms or is there like a washout period that parents should be testing for? So for that chronic FPIs patient, it's usually the symptoms will resolve within a few days. And then if they've had failure to thrive, they'll have a little bit of a period where they'll have some catch-up growth. But that will happen actually quite quickly as well. And we've had Rosan Meyer on the podcast talking about catch-up growth for other conditions. And she did mention FPIs, so I'm glad we can kind of tie this together. And I'll link to some of the other episodes that we're mentioning today in the show notes for this episode. But Marian, I'm curious, for parents listening, if you suspect that your baby has FPIs based on the information that you've shared with us today, what should parents do? What should be their first course of action? So if they suspect that their baby has had, you know, an acute FPIs reaction, like we spoke of before, they should not feed it again. Um, They should talk to their pediatrician first, and then get a referral to an allergist who can actually evaluate the infant. You know, the way we feed an infant complementary food introduction in that period between six and and 12 months of age 
for an infant with FPIs is a little bit different than it is for an infant who doesn't have FPIs. Because what we will do then is not delay introduction of foods because we know foods are very important. But there are certain foods that are higher risk to trigger a reaction, and we may delay the introduction of those foods. But there are plenty other foods that we can introduce. And it's important that the baby start feeding, not just for nutritional needs, but also because we want them to learn to eat and enjoy a variety of foods. So that's also important. So they really will need guidance from an allergist or an allergy specialist dietitian who can help them to introduce those foods safely and to maybe delay the introduction of those foods that might be higher risk for triggering a reaction. And I'm glad that you mentioned the role of the dietitian working in pediatric allergies because it is so important that the dietitian is involved to focus on all of the foods that the baby can eat. And so often when we get a diagnosis, parents think of it like as a death sentence, celiac. Oh my gosh, I can never have the gluten found in wheat, rye, and barley. No, but look at all of these whole grains that are out there that are gluten-free that your child can eat. Or with FPIs, if you work through you know, a big list of foods, yes, these are your trigger foods, but look at all these other foods that your baby can safely eat. And the dietitian really is so important to kind of fit that piece of the puzzle in there. Absolutely. So Marianne, where can our audience go to learn more about your work and the work that your team is doing there in New York? I think that for the parent who is dealing with FPIs or living with FPIs or trying to understand how to manage their child with FPIs for the first time, there are many parent associations that are actually very good, that have good information. So I really like fpies.org. Um, that's the IFPIs group, International Food Protein Induced Enterocolitis Syndrome group. This website has a medical advisory board and full disclosure, I'm on it. But the leader of this or the, the woman who started this is Fallon Schultz. And she actually was instrumental in getting the ICD-10 code she was instrumental in gathering together the experts across the globe in FPIs to write the first international consensus guidelines for the diagnosis and management of FPIs. It is posted on that website. You made us read the whole thing. I love it. You just read the whole thing. No, you can if you want. Um, I don't know how interesting it would be, but it's a great place to get really good information on FPIs. And I think it's important that you get good evidence-based education on FPIs because I think there is a lot of misinformation regarding FPIs out there. And I think some of that can be very frightening and, and it could actually trigger maybe avoiding introducing foods, which is not what we want to see in FPIs or for any infant, we don't want to see that. And I think also it sort of highlights how you can manage it in your regular day. It has the emergency treatment plan on their website. And if your pediatrician doesn't know what an emergency treatment plan for FPIs is, you can go to that website and download it yourself and bring it to your pediatrician because the emergency treatment plan is important because your child may have an FPIs reaction and you might bring them to the emergency room. And it's important that the emergent, the treating physician at the emergency room know what what they need to do to help your child. So that emergency treatment plan will tell them. It will be signed by your pediatrician or your allergist or your gastroenterologist, any physician who is managing you. And you know, for the most part, it just tells them that your child needs IV fluids and some other medications that might help your child to stop vomiting and to feel better much more quickly. And of course, that's what you want to see. 
Marianne, before I let you go, I know that your daughter is expecting you're going to become a grandmother for the first time, just off the top of your head. Like, what are your thoughts about baby led weaning? Oh, so, you know, it's interesting because here I teach a course and you're a student in my class. And I'm, I keep thinking I have to become a student of you because I would like to know more about baby led weaning. I think actually one of the most important things about baby led weaning is that it encourages diversity in the diet. And I think diversity in that, you know, six to 12 month period is so important because again, like I said earlier, teaching children how to eat and enjoy a wide variety of foods is one of the most important things we can do in infancy because it sets the standard for how they might eat growing up. And if we don't introduce foods early, we might miss that window of opportunity when they're opening to new tastes and new textures. And, and that's really, I think, for me, the most important thing. So I know that my daughter will be listening to your podcast moving forward. And um, I'm really excited to become a grandma and start feeding an infant again. It's going to be an exciting period for me. And I'm watching all of your guys' research like a hawk because all of this emerging data about the importance of diet diversity, it really dovetails what we do. I created the 100 First Foods approach to baby led weaning back in 2016. And the reality being that, you know, with traditional spoon feeding, babies might eat as few as 10 or 15 foods by the time they turn one. And if you lose those foods in the second year of life to picky eating, that becomes a very challenging child to feed. And yet if baby has 100 foods by the time they turn one and you lose 10 or 15, be it to food allergy or picky eating or another medical condition, there's still 85, 90 plus, you know, an infinite number of foods that babies really can eat. And so our goal, especially mine as a dietitian, is to show parents how to prepare those foods safely because you can't just give baby the same exact foods that you're eating as an adult. But with a little bit of education and modification, we can make the vast majority of foods safe for babies to eat at six months of age and beyond. That's great. Really, I'm so excited. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you explaining FPIs. This is a, a more challenging topic, I think, for parents, but I think you did a fabulous job and I appreciate you. Thank you for having me. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that interview with Marion Grote. She is such a wealth of knowledge in all things food allergy, but I really appreciate her coming on to like focus laser hard on FPIs for you guys. The show notes for this page are going to be very important if you suspect your baby has FPI. So go to blwpodcast.com forward slash 230. I'm going to link to all of the resources that Marion recommended and mentioned in today's episode. So again, that's blwpodcast.com forward slash 230. And thank you so much for listening and learning here on the Baby Led Weaning Made Easy podcast. friends. Are you looking for a new podcast? Maybe something you can share with your littles? Something that has some storytelling in it? Well, then look no further. We have Storytime with Philip and Mommy, where my son and I sit and discuss all the great books that you might love while we read them. So Little Golden Books, Berenstain Bears, and even the new classics like Bluey. We sit down, we read, we discuss, and we have so much fun doing it. Come and join us. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.